anarchist flyers always say, bring donations for the out-of-town ban. The moment you state a price, you're a business. The moment you actually are asking, demanding a certain price for somebody to enter, they can be like, well, where's your business license? This is a private party. Be thankful you got invited and bring some money for the out-of-town ban. This is Sonically Speaking, and I'm Justin Savage. On this show, we talk to people who have taken a different path in life and find out how they got there. On this episode, we talk to Tom Foote, writer, rocker, reverend, who danced around the Mojo Mason-Dixon line from Michigan to Florida and figured out how he got into his action. My name is Reverend Thomas L. Foote. Um, we're at the Chattanooga Public Library. All right, Tom Foote. Uh, I'm glad you're here. So why don't we start from the beginning? Let's go way back in the jungle deep. Okay, so why don't you tell me where you're from and a little bit about yourself? I am from Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. Um, lived there the first 20, almost 23 years of my life and grew up in the middle of nowhere in Michigan. At like a little town called Dansville is where I went to school at, but I was like five miles away from that. Like, totally middle of nowhere. Um, what part of Michigan? Because I think when you say Michigan, most people kind of maybe Detroit. Right. That's the first thing that people think of. Yeah. But there's lots of other places. And, right? and, and from there, a Michigander would always be like, well, we lived about an hour, hour and 15 minutes from Detroit. So why don't you take me to where this Michigander is from? Um, exactly. Like, give me some, like, from Detroit. From It's from the where? Lower Peninsula. I was a troll. Um it's all swampland down there, pretty much. Really, kind of. It's a lot of swampland, and it's like south. Not it's south, lower, middle, um, lower peninsula. Like, really, if you went as a bird flies, it would be like fifty miles north, probably of like the the Michigan Indiana border. But yeah, it's south of Lansing, which is the capital, and yeah, middle of nowhere. The school I went to was a class D school. The village that the school was in still has a population of somewhere around 300 and some people. What do you mean by class D school? Um, well, they make classes for schools, like of like how big your school is. And like, you know, so, I mean, when you're seeing like crazy things on TV where it's like marching bands and stuff, those are probably like class AAA schools. Like I was a class D school, which is like about as low as it can get. Understood. Yeah, I mean, my graduating class was under was around fifty some people. That's small. Yeah, so, I, w- I, I, I went to kindergarten roundup with people I graduated with.
So it's that that type of small town then. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. And what was it like? Like, I mean, was there... Uh, it was horrible, but what, I mean, it was nothing. It was like, you know, it was, was what it, like it was. like industrial? Like, what, what, I mean, what uh, was... It was farm. It was farm, okay. Yeah, it was surrounded by farmland. Like, but it's Michigan, so everybody's dads drive up to Lansing and go work at the auto plant. And right. Stuff like that, you know. And what did your parents do? My dad worked at the auto plant. <laughs> How long did he work there? Hmm? How long did he work there? He worked there for 30-some years, yeah. Which uh, brand? Uh, General Motors. Gotcha. Yeah, that's all that's up there. I mean, well, there's other people. There is, but we don't talk about them. That's to be understood. <laughs> I get you. And mom? She was a homemaker mostly. She worked a few years of her life, but mostly it was being a mom. Brothers and sisters? One sister, a little bit older than me. So tell me about growing up with the family, growing up in the town a little bit. Like I said, it was the middle of nowhere. I mean, you knew what you knew, <laughs> you know, if you know what I mean. You, you, it was, that was your experience, you know, it was middle of nowhere by yourself. Nearest neighbors that were, were people I could grow up and hang out and play with when I was a kid, like were cousins and stuff. Like they were usually older than me. And so it was like very lonely kind of, you know, and yeah. I think that's why I sought punk rock and sought trying to get out of there and sought trying to go somewhere besides there just to escape it. Now, did your parents listen to music? Like when did uh, music start kind of coming into your life? And I mean, just, you know, casually at home or in the car, were they in a certain bands or were they into anything? Oh, the, it, music was always there definitely with my family growing up. Um, they were mostly country, but that's definitely where I grew to love um, Jim Crochet. That's... Um, a lot of country, but my mom also would listen to some rock and roll and, you know, I mean, I never cared much for the Beatles when I was growing up listening to it from my mom so much. And she was an Elvis fanatic too, like, oh, like crazy Elvis fanatic, which I think totally made me biased against Elvis the rest of my life a little bit too. Just being surrounded by, we had ceramic bust of Elvis on top of the television, like Elvis clocks on the wall, stuff like that. Tributes. Yes. and um, But, yeah, I got to see a lot of country music when I was a kid. and L Live? Yeah. Like, I seen Johnny Cash with, like, June Carter Cash and the whole Carter family nice. play live with his brother Tommy opened. Um, lots of stuff like that, like Dolly Parton, getting to see that when I was a kid. And definitely, you know, it's now that's definitely influenced me, but for years... I rebelled against that. I Naturally. hated country. I, it took me like probably close to almost 40 years to come, well, not 40 years, but I'm saying probably close to 28, 30 years to come back to it and be like, oh, I like this. This is okay. It takes time for stuff like that to, yeah. I think, marinate and then kind of come to the surface. I think you have to be a certain age, you know, maybe. But so, that definitely made me go out and seek out other kinds of music too. So when did that start happening? So is this are we in junior high? When does when does the change? When does the wolf uh, start <laughs> to uh, you know grow some uh, hair and fangs? When when does things start to happen? A la I rock started, and roll. I definitely was already like listening to rock and roll, but it was still just main radio stuff. And then probably right around when high school started, I found like a radio station that every Sunday night from like eight until midnight would play like punk, new wave, alternative. Well, that word wasn't even a word back then, alternative. It was just punk or new wave or...
different. Time capsule this for me. Give, give me a, a time frame that we're, we're talking about here. We're talking 84. Okay. 84, So that's 85. a good time. Then. That's where I'm starting to hit and hear the music kind of a little bit. And then by the time like 85 rolled around, there was this TV show called Back Porch Video that was on this uh, college radio station or college TV station that was out of Ann Arbor. And uh, they would be on like Friday night. I think it was like from 11 till midnight. They had what they called the skinhead hour, which was all like hardcore music. <laughs> and then I the, think Lawrence Welk maybe started that too. That yes. was one of his early editions. Uh, <laughs> but Saturdays they would have like almost eight hours of just like punk videos and you know not not so much punk but even also like you know stuff like The Cure and stuff like that which I wouldn't consider as much punk as more like new wave-ish but and then Sundays they had more videos and it was like you know it was like it was the eight to nine hours of TV I watched a week and I would sit there and hold like my tape player up to the television and record songs off it and find out bands that way and yeah that's where a lot of like the first punk and hardcore i ever heard was off my television and i recorded it onto tapes on a tape player and yeah it was still so yeah it was around 84 that was when i started finding punk and punk music and then i met people in lansing who were punks through like being pen pals <laughs> how did that happen though um, just was pen pals through like this one magazine that covered mostly new wave stuff. They had a section where you could find pen pals and I started finding pen pals. What was this magazine? One. Was this like a local rag or something? No, no. This is like a major on, on the fucking rack at the what was it? grocery store. Oh, I don't even remember the name of it anymore. Really? But it had a search out young punks like yeah, yourself? Yeah, it had like a whole page where you could just put friends. in. Yeah. And nice. I sent off mine my little classified there and what did it say nothing basically like i am um, give me the they had to say something well yeah it said the couple bands you know that i was into like Susie and the banshees and you know punk look or punk kid looking for other punks and i found them that's great and i found ones that were more local like it was kind of cool like, how far is lansing from where you were lansing from where i lived was it's about a 40 minute drive 45 okay. minute drive um, but yeah, so I ended up meeting like this other kids that were from like Owasso, which is like another part, you know, another area around Lansing and stuff. And they told me to meet them up, meet up with them in East Lansing and go hang out and then got basically introduced, introduced to this whole punk scene. And what was it like for you, for you to, to be finally to be around that? Were you feeling pretty like, uh, this is my spot? It took a moment, but yeah, cause I was overwhelmed cause I'd never even, I mean, I had friends at school, but I never hung out. I never did things with those friends, really. Friend, like people from Dansville, when they went out with their friends, they went to the mall. They went to the movies. They didn't do, they didn't talk really so much. It was just hanging out, you know, it was weird. It, was, it just didn't seem real. Right. And then here you are, like hanging out with all these kids talking and, talking about real stuff, talking about what happened at home today, like talking about, hey, I'm thinking about running away. Can I stay at your house and stay in the basement or something? You know, talking about, hey, there's a show over here tonight, you know, at this place. Let's go over there and watch that. And it was amazing. After a while, after settling in, it was definitely, it was an amazing thing. And, I, and it's funny because, like, kids at school could even see it a little bit in me, like, it's by my changing. Yes. By my senior year, I actually had this girl that was in class with me that was in my grade, like, come up to me and be like, hey, so I've heard that you like hanging out in East Lansing and hanging out with like a whole bunch of punk kids and you kind of found a scene up there and stuff. And I just wanted to tell you that's really cool. I'm happy for you. And I was just like, and, then, and it was ended with the whole kind of like, all right, like kind of, we this didn't happen feel. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, it, that, it was kind of an odd one. What were your parents thinking of you when this was going on? I mean, could they, I mean was it a visual sense where they could see, like, you were starting to— uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, and what was their take on well, all this? Well, I mean, they were, they, they were thinking about sending me away. <laughs> I mean— Really? Yeah. What do you mean by oh, yeah. sending you away? Uh, like, to juvie, to a, a boy's home, to 
whatever. I mean, I was threatened with it for sure. I had already look- been, well, I had already been, me and my sister, like when we were kids, we had like a weird relationship where it was like she was at one point in my life aggressively trying to get me to put away. <laughs> like weird shit. I mean, I don't know how much I want to go into that so much. Maybe as much as you want. I mean, you know, you don't have, we don't have to get too deep in it, but you skim the surface and we can move right. on. But they just wanted, because they thought you were just getting too wild or? Well, that and like, even though, well, like things with my sister, like she was being malicious, like to a point where I watched her fall down the stairs one time. She said, watch this, fell down a flight of stairs, like the stairs going down to the basement and then told my parents I pushed her. Ah. Like that kind of thing where it was like actively, I literally, and I've heard about this in Spare Change, so I don't know why I'm feeling awkward about talking about it really so much. It's just still weird to me, you know? I mean, well, it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. a little, you know. I mean, that, that came to a point, and that's all before even punk. That came to a point where I was like, I barricaded myself in a room, my room one time, because like she came in my room, broke something, ran out of the room. My dad comes in and is like, what the hell? You know, I get in trouble for it. And so I'm like, okay, I clean up the whole mess start putting stuff in front of the door. She comes and tries to open up the door. And this is like the point where they finally listen to me. She's trying to push open the door and goes and gets them. And it's like, he's barricaded himself in his room. And they come in and push their way through. And they're like, why'd you do this? And I'm like, why is she trying to get in here? If I'm the one hurting her, why is she trying to push her way into this room? And they finally kind of listen to me at that point. But like, yeah, so, I mean, where did that start off at? Because I asked you if your parents saw a change in you happening, and you said so, they yeah, wanted it to So, yeah, there was already that that we came out of. Right. And then, like, by the time I'm, well, by the time I'm finding all this stuff, she's telling me, she's like, I broke him in, you know, blah, 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 because she had a rat tail. and Your sister had her. a rat tail. Yeah. She broke you in. No, she she broke them in for oh, me. Oh, she broke, oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> And she's like, you're pushing him too far. And, like, that's where she's at at this point. So are you guys kind of cool parents, already a little bit now? A little bit, yeah. Okay. And what was your hair doing? I, she, I tried, well, had... and I actually tried to run away at one point, too. Like, yeah. I literally tried to run away. And that was the point I got sent to see a psychologist for a while until. And how'd that work out? It, it was great. It was probably the most I ever talked to anybody in my life. <laughs> but by the end of it, it didn't work out because he thought, rightfully so that the whole family should maybe come in and talk and my dad was not gonna have that because well he's not crazy not that you had to be crazy to go to see a psychologist that was his story too but (laughs) (laughs) but but he didn't need it right but yeah so they weren't handling all of that very well at all and this is at the is this the end of high school times yeah okay and I had been told by my dad numerous times, like, you know, the day you turn 18, you're just going to have to, you're going to have to t- start paying rent or, you know, he was telling me that I was going to have to pay rent to live there. And I'm like, if I'm paying rent, I'm not living with, I'm not paying to live with you. That's right. not going down. And that was all a buildup. And then like the day I turned 18, I don't think I came home for like two weeks and then came home and I had already found a place and came home and packed up my stuff and moved out.
Are you writing at this point in your life at all? Vaguely, mostly crappy dark poetry. <laughs> Just to yourself? Mostly, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's mostly what I was writing at that time. I mean, I wasn't, and I never, like, during, like, my whole, like, being younger and being in school, like, my life didn't seem like anything I was going to write about. I was thought I thought I was going to be a fiction writer, if anything. So you you did have some aspirations. I did have of, some of being, aspirations. Uh, I totally writer. did have okay. some aspirations. So you're out. You you're out of here. Yeah. You're out of the house. How did that go over? <laughs> it didn't go over very well at all. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why I'm really good at remembering people's birthdays and remembering dates like that. I moved away from home accidentally on my mom and dad's anniversary. Zing. Yeah. Hadn't been home since my birthday, like 13 days before. Been out staying with different places and whatnot. And came home and was like, hey, yeah, found a place, moving out. Packed up my car. My mom's crying. I'm thinking it's just because her little boy is moving away. And right as I'm ready to walk out the door, my dad's like, well, honey, I guess it'll be a happy anniversary after all. Oh. And I sat down and hung out with him for another four hours or so and moved into the new house. At, I, I got to the new place that I was living at about one in the morning after finally hanging out with my parents. And, yeah. And these are people that are punk kids? It was a punk house, yeah. Okay. I moved into this house that... This band uh, called Just Say No it was made up of old, like old school punk like members. Like at that time, like old school punk people from Michigan. It was like people who had been in bands like The Fix and Violent Apathy. And my friend Mike, who just passed away recently, he was uh, one of the co-founders of uh, Touch and Go, and he was in that band. And they, this band, Just Say No, would practice in the basement. Two of the members lived there. It was a big house in College Row. Like, had weird stipulations where there was only supposed to be, like, I think five people were allowed to live there, but two of them had to be related. Hmm. Like, that's some weird law right there. And, but there was already six or seven of us there. And, like, I moved in with my friend Mark, and we split a room. I think I was paying $45 a month. Yeah, you had a job? Right. Yeah. Got a job? Washing dishes. Minimum wage, which at that point was like $3.30. What year are we at here now? We're at 88. Okay. So when does the rocking start to happen? Are you are you writing more at this point, or are you just kind of figuring out? I'm who- still writing lots of crappy poetry. Okay. <laughs> and, well, I, I, I always refer to all my poetry as crappy poetry just right. because. Sure, self-deprecation is yes. a, I'm a big fan of that myself. So I'm with you. Um, still writing lots of stuff like that. Not writing so many like, stories, maybe some rants here and there. I didn't play music for another, I mean, I never was even in a band for another like three years at this point. So you're still, but you're just But I'm living in a punk right? house where we're having shows. Yeah. It's like my mom and dad came to visit for the first time and it was right after the first show we had that when I lived there. <laughs> this is a good story. And my mom and dad come over to visit me for the first time. We're all wake, you know, starting to wake up from the night before from the party and the show and everything. And this one guy got out of hand the night before. It was like ex-skinhead rockabilly dude, like got in a fight with some people at the house. Me and my friend Mark's room on the lower floor is the only room without windows broken out. There's a hippie passed out in a pile of glass next to a keg in the corner in the living room. I go and answer the door, and my mom and dad like, come by to see where I live. <laughs> they come back and they go and sit on Mark's bed because he's off at work. My mom's crying and my dad's just like, you know, you can come back home if you want <laughs> and live there. And I was just like, oh no, oh no, this is where this, you want, you said I had to be out when I was 18. And I was like, here we are. My mom never came back into any place I ever lived again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's been in a couple, <laughs> but that's a whole different story. But So tell me about the first band that you got into. Okay. Um, the first band I ever got in was 
Oh, that would have been Rieger Fallick. That would have been, well, there was a band before that, but I mean, that was the first band where we did anything for a while and started making like a good bit of music and playing shows. And, and you're singing, obviously, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's all. And are you starting to write your own lyrics? Yes. Okay. So you're writing your own lyrics. You're, are you starting to find your. The crappy poetry started. Coming in. Coming in there. Turning into crappy lyrics. Right. Gotcha. Natural progression. <laughs> um, and it was with um, one of the Adams Brothers. It was with Sinkway. Right. So tell, I mean, why don't you say who these uh, two Adams Brothers are? Um, and where did you meet them? They, well, I met them in Michigan. Um, they're like some of my oldest friends for sure. Um, Cinque I met Sinkway. Yes. I met Sinkway. I was 19. And I was living in North Lansing, and I'd known Sinkway for a while, but I moved into, the, like, after the punk house, the first half punk house I was talking about. It was just, like, a little ways. I actually made a list of how many places I lived in the other day, and it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> well, how many late places I lived at in the four years from moving into that punk house to moving away from Michigan. I actually made a list, and it's, like, ridiculous. Like, in four years, I lived in, like, 20, like 20 different places. And a couple of those I lived at for a whole year. So that's really nuts that I'd get out of there and live someplace for like two months and get evicted or whatever. But I was living in this apartment and like kind of basically like almost like what would be considered a hood. <laughs> like it was a pretty nuts neighborhood. Like, And Sinkway and his brother lived down the street from me. And I'd already known Sinkway a little bit, but we started hanging out tight then. His Dad was dying of cancer, and he would sneak out and climb down a tree and come down to my apartment and hang out with me and get stoned and listen to records. And yeah, and then so, and that's when I met Quana too. But me and Sinkway definitely started hanging out more that time. And so, yeah, later on, like as time progressed, like I'd shown him some of my crappy poetry and we started working on figuring out he was already in bands. Right. And we started, yeah. Finding people and got a band together. In which band was this? This was Rieger Fallick. Okay. And this is with Sinkway on guitar? Uh, He actually played bass. Okay. Yeah. So you guys start hanging out. Is Quana involved in this yet? No. Okay. I'm only getting there just because soon you're going to be making a move at some point here, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. And where are you going to be making this? How do you guys decide to make this move? Um, Sinkway's mom and Quana had already moved down to Florida we were just kind of, honestly, Michigan was just kind of burning us out. I mean, there was some facts of the matter that we didn't know yet, like which was that a lot of people that we had known our whole lives were assholes. <laughs> we kind of just thought that this was how the whole world was. Like we're just like, oh, everybody's like this, you know. Everybody's just like these brutal dicks to everybody, you know. And And in some ways we were trying to escape drinking a lot too like we were just like it just felt like things weren't going anywhere and so as basically almost the whole band of Rieger Fallick, like me Sinkway this other guy Jim um everybody minus the drummer we moved we hopped into <laughs> that is actually spring of or early spring or late winter of 93 it was right before the blizzard happened in 93 in this area because we'd had everything loaded up. We were apartment that we were living at the time. I took the keys because I didn't want to talk to the landlord, threw them in the river. We're, like, ready to leave town. This blizzard happened. 75 is closed off. We're from Michigan. We're like, we can drive through this stuff, but y'all don't know how to clean roads down here. So we had to sit and wait until 75 opened back up, and we moved down to Florida. And, Yeah. Cause you're coming home yeah. Don't try me 
to the wang of the United States, that is Florida. And South Florida is one of those places. So that you guys end up in Miami. We end up in Hollywood at first and then in Fort Lauderdale. Okay, so you're on the Dade Broward line yeah. of Hollywood. So you're in South Florida, right? Yeah. So you're in South Florida, and is Quana with you at some point? I'm just trying yeah, to get to- Yeah, no, we, we're staying at, at, we moved down there and are staying instantly at Quana's mom's house. Okay, gotcha. And Incredible lady. Yes. Okay, so you guys form, and then... Well, we start practicing with, with Quana. Okay. Basically, Rigor Phallic, now with Quana, but we changed our name, of course. We're practicing at this place called Primal Scream in Fort Lauderdale. Like, we practice right after Marilyn Manson. This is before they made it big. Like, we used to watch them walk coming out of... We used to get there early and sit there and wait for them to get out of practice, like, so we could go in and start setting up. And... We started, um, Sinkway worked at this really awesome, like, kind of uh, bookstore. It was like an underground bookstore kind of place. That was really cool. And we found out by, we found out about Far Out Records and went there and started going there and found out about shows. And from there, ended up finally going to a generator show somewhere up around Pompano or something like that. And that was at this man-made lake behind a Publix. And, yeah. And that's where we met all of the people that we have met down in South Florida, like all these punk scenes and like it's people who I've now about 20, yeah, 25 years deep in knowing. <laughs> and yeah, and we met those kids and started hanging out. And then we ended up like, well, we were already out of Quan or Cinco and Quana's mom's house because there was too many people there. Right. Um, but we ended up meeting some people and started living in a warehouse called Garage Land down there and doing a lot of shows. And tell me about the scene that was going on there a little bit. And then at this point, are you guys the spawn sex? When does that when does that happen? That's still a ways off. This would be at this point in time, we were in that band and then we had a falling out with the guitarist and he went off and I mean I'm still I'm I haven't seen him in a long time, but we'd probably be on good terms because we were last time we hung out, which was years later. But when we moved into Antarctica, we ended up meeting, one of the people we ended up meeting was this lady, Becky Garage Fun. Land? Yeah. Not Antarctica. Yeah, Garage Land, sorry. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when we were living at Garage Land, we ended up meeting this uh, lady, Becky Fun, and she started playing bass in a band, Alatrua Bandits, with me and Quana and Cinque and... That was sort of the beginning maybe of that, I yeah. guess. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that was my first band being in with both Adams Brothers. Okay. And so from, which would end up being a formula for, for years to come. It's right? still yeah. So then from there, you guys get us to the spawn sex. So uh, and by the way, are you still writing at this point? No no zine has taken shape yet. Has no it? zine has taken shape yet. It's it like it's not until 1995 that Azine takes shape. So we're shape. a couple years off right. from that, but you're still writing lyrics, though, right? Yeah. Are you feeling pretty confident as a writer, and you're feeling like oh, okay yeah. about you're like okay, I can yeah, do and this. I'm still feeling it out. The thing is, I hadn't even seen Azine yet at this point in my life. Gotcha. I mean, I'd seen like I said, we went to that you know, and I I think I'd seen zines, but I didn't realize what exactly I was looking at yet. <laughs> but anyways, we lived at that warehouse was in Alachua Bandits, went on tour, started seeing zines then when we went on tour and started getting that feeling a little bit. Um, went back, things just weren't working out for me, and I moved back to Michigan for another almost a year. And then I got a call from Cinque, and he's like, hey, we've been playing with this guy Raul, me and Quana have. Why don't you move back down here and start a band with us? Put a pin in that for a second and briefly describe Raul as best as you can Wow. Well, at that point in time? <laughs> at that point in time. Um, young, wild Cuban kid who uh, 
Mm. That's good enough. Yeah. That's good enough. Okay, so they, they got this guy playing, and they ask you. They young, wild cr- Cuban kid, but the most responsible young, wild Cuban. Like, he would, pl- he, he would see him at a show, and he'd be like, I have to go home, bro. I, I got to get up. And he worked construction. He, would, he was running cranes, I think, at that time, which was crazy. That's, like, I couldn't do that after a show. <laughs> I couldn't go run a fucking crane. So they get you to come back. Yes. So you come back. And we start this new band. Called? And, well, at that point in time, we were actually called The Hookers. Right. We didn't realize that there was already three other bands out there called The Hookers, one of them getting kind of big at that time. And, yeah, we met up, and that was when we also met up. Well, we, we yeah. So we did that, and, like, while we were down, I'd already met on the tour with the Altria Bandits, we'd already met the kids from Dalton. Like, we played in Dalton. That's where I met, like, Eric Nelson, who you've, yeah, and a bunch of other people. And so they were coming down and visiting us down in Florida and played in our backyard while we were down there. And then they invite us to go on tour with them and the Stun Guns. And that was the tour. And on that tour is where we became Spawn Sex. Gotcha. In the middle of tour, we decided to do a name change. We'd heard enough from every show showing up, people being like, oh, you're different hookers. And so finally we were like, okay, and switched the name. When do you start? You start your first uh, spare change in South Florida, don't you? Yes. Okay. So uh, right before we go on this tour, like this is my second time going on tour, and I don't think I've ever still gotten going on tour right. <laughs> like the first few times I went on tour, I went with absolute. I was leaving with absolutely nothing in my pocket except for maybe food stamps. But this one, the second one, I was like, okay, we don't have any merch, we don't have shirts, we don't have tapes, we don't have anything. I was like, and at that point, I'd been reading the zines I'd gotten on the tour before and finding more zines, and I was like, I'm going to make a zine. And I lived with and was friends with some people who worked at Kinko's who did me some favors, like slid me some stacks of Kinko's cards with $100 on them each and basically funded the first issue, or actually that guy funded the first three issues probably, a spare change. Um. But yeah, I made and so I made this this zine thinking, you know, well, here, I'll have this to sell on tour. The first issue is a spare change said for price, see title. And you don't make money doing that. Did Not, you have a but did you have a concept for what kind of zine you wanted to do though? No, it was the first few issues were all over the place. And I was get- trying to do interviews, which I, I totally sway away from right. doing myself these days because transcribing all of this out into print is just 
and trying, especially interviewing a band, you're hearing like three different voices trying to be like, who was that Joe or was that Jeff or who is that over there, you know? Um, a lot of the first issues were basically just rants, <laughs> a lot of rants. Your, your own rants. Uh, right. Rants about religion, rants about like the government, rants about everything. Um, it took probably somewhere around issue five, issue six, where I started settling in and starting to write stories and started writing and figuring out that, hey, wait a second, this is kind of interesting, this story that happened to me. And also starting to formulate, I'm now to a point where I think the reason I write stories is because I realize that everybody's story is different. And each story that somebody tells you, you can walk away with something from. And so it's worthy. And yeah, but it took me until like issue five or six to hit the stories. But the first ones were all like lots of reviews too. I was doing lots of reviews, which is just. Reviews of what though? Everything that I came across gotcha. going on tours, you'd get all these tapes and zines and records. And I just started reviewing everything that was around me. And then people started sending me stuff. And I was just like, ah, this isn't what I want to do. <laughs> I mean, I'm not against reviewing or anything, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Right. I didn't want to write a review scene. So you started having a general idea of what you wanted to do. Yeah. Okay. For sure. I mean, I still stray from that. I still totally stray from that. But you have a formula that you stick with as far as what an issue. I mean, you might have a theme for an issue, but right. you might, you know, stick with something. So right. go, go go through a little bit of your process when you start a zine and uh, give give me how you begin, uh, begin a zine and how you end a zine and your time frame of putting out an issue, whether that's, you know, you want to do one, it's going to be six months before you do one, or you're going to do one in a month and you put yourself on a pretty rigid time schedule, or just, just give me a loose pattern of, of how you work something out. Usually it, it, there's an, an idea or a story that goes along with it. Usually if it's a story, then I have it mapped out and I figure, it out, I figure out where I want to start each part. I mean, right now I've been working on for a while, um, like a story that's taking like five, six parts to do it. So I just figure out what where I want to start and then stop those parts. Um, but then also I get other tangents where I'm like, well, I got to do this and have like a whole different issue. Um, time frame. <laughs> I haven't put out a zine in over a year at the moment, so that's hard for me to talk about because time frame is like. But just in general, I mean, don't. But I mean, just I, mean I also have in the past and. I'm thinking about going back to it sooner or later, putting myself on a time frame where I make myself deadlines. But I don't want – my problem with deadlines, I think, was I got worried about quality. Right. I wanted to be like, okay, I don't want to just go in there and force this to happen. I want it to be the best it can. I've seen you pretty methodical when you uh, want to do something, and you put yourself on pretty good time frames and you stick with it. Your uh, office is impeccable, by the way. I just want to let you know. So you finally come up to Chattanooga, by the way, right? Yes. At this point. So you, you make the mass migration up to Chattanooga. Yeah, we moved, we moved from Miami to Dalton, Georgia, first off. Right. Um, and, well, we moved there because that's where the Schaefer's – I'll state that name because, I mean, that's a bunch of people who – I can describe it like that right there for you. Um, yeah, we'd met the Schaefer's, and we moved to Dalton, Georgia from Miami, which is a crazy idea to do. And we lived in Dalton until basically the police ran us out, <laughs> which is, you know, that's that kind of town. Right. So you're in Chattanooga. You end up living um, in... I kind of fucked up as far as we're going to edit this. And I fucked up because I was just trying to get you here. You go back to zines for a second. Zine culture and what you've seen happen with zines. What's your feeling on, on that? And have uh, you uh, seen it grow, you know? It's definitely, okay, zine culture has totally grown in the last few years. Like, in the last five years, I would say at least, that I've noticed again. It's great. I I love it. It's Good to see this surge, and it's kind of weird. It's a different, it's a different surge than the last time I was like watching zines be a huge thing. Like I literally, I mean, I had to write this down one day because I thought about it for a moment, and I would. I don't think I'm necessarily writing for punks anymore. I don't. 
I don't see that as like a focus anymore. I think I'm writing for everybody and the punk thing. It's like, and, and I mean, and part of that is like watching reviews come back from the, from punk zines that are like totally not under, not getting me anymore. And I'm like, okay. Cause I know that there's these other people who are getting me. And so I'm not writing for you anymore. And that's fine. That's totally good. That's great. That's kind of pushing me to be like, you know what? Well, there's these, all these weird things that I've been wanting to write about for years. And now that I don't have some kind of weird focus on punk that I have to feel like I have to do, I can do that. That's good. That's growth is what yeah. that is, you know? Yeah. Um, and also something happens pretty cool here at the library. That you're heavily involved. With. Yes. Describe that a little bit. Um, Zinefest is amazing. It happens here every year um, in, Mar in May. And um, I heard that they were making a zine library and people got me in contact with the people who were doing that. And it was great because I'm, I'm not a hoarder. A hoarder is somebody who doesn't organize it. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I handed over to the library, like, five boxes, like, five big boxes of zines in alphabetical order. A bunch of other people donated stuff, too. And it's, they have a huge zine library here. The, 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 the zine fest is always, it's great. And it's gotten better every single year. And, and it, did it start? Was it just local people initially that just had zines? Is that what, or just in the oh, outlying, no, outlying all, areas? But initially, it, like no, the people I mean, that were coming. I think even the first year, I think the first year there were still people like there's been Canadian zine writers at Zine Fest. There's been, I'm sure there's probably men from other countries too. But I know if, I've met the Canadians. <laughs> Because being a Michigander, I'm always like, you're from Canada. We're neighbors. Right? It makes us practically related. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk for a little bit here about Antarctica, my friend. Okay. okay. Not only is it a under-the-radar, low-key, killer rockin' venue, it's also your home, right? Yes. I moved into Antarctica. It wasn't called Antarctica, of course, at that time. In uh, 2002, summer of 2002, and I lived there at the time with this guy, Greg. And I lived there for a moment, and 
then Greg moved away probably right around the end of September. And to be honest, like the moment that kind of went down and then I suddenly went down and started investigating the basement and started figuring out the situation of the whole house a little bit. And the next month we had a show. <laughs> but we were in a situation where I don't remember if Fat Raps was still going at that moment, but that was like maybe the only place to have all ages punk shows. Right. There was not so there was place. a little bit of a need for something. Yeah, yeah. there was totally a need. There and was then with the connection of everybody had of knowing people from other states that needed a, you know to come through Chattanooga. Yeah, you got to play here. You know, so you're kind of filling a void of something that right. needed to happen. Yeah, there was not of that place in town. Like you know, there definitely wasn't that place in town. I mean, there wasn't a place in town where even we could have probably approached him at that moment and been like, "Hey, can our bands play here?" Because they'd been like. You aren't playing Almond cover, Almond Brothers covers, covers, then get the hell out, you know? Right. Um, and so that was created to make that, to fill that void, to fill that need, and it's been 15 years, creeping up on 16 now. And it's also turned into a rehearsal space as well? Well, yeah, it, that was definitely, the moment the basement was there, it was like, I was like, okay, who wants to be in a band? I need to be in a band. Let's be in a band. Let's. And that basement has bred lots of bands. Lots of bands. There's lots of recordings. And the sound in there is great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, how many bands do you think have played there? Just a, a rough, just, you know, a rough estimate of how, over these years, how many bands do you think have passed through and played? Well over a thousand. I believe it, you know. Well over a thousand. I mean,. And when that place is rocking, man, it is rocking and it is the coolest feeling, you know? I mean, we had a January. There was this epic January that me and Heather, who lived there, who uh, my friend Heather Lacey, she's part of, like, Chattanooga Girls Rock, and she was one of my old roommates there. And we, Heather was, like, kind of keeping track of everything. Like, we had one, we had one January where we had 10 shows. I'm not saying all those shows were only one out-of-town band either. right. We actually, she actually counted how many people spent the night there that crashed at our place that January, and it was like 84, I think. So, I mean, yeah, I would say it's definitely over 1,000. Any hassles? Oh, yeah. Years? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Antarctica has gotten one ticket in 15 years. Like a citation, you mean? Yep. But that's the thing. Like, I'd already learned back at GarageLand and other places, like, how to start handling shows how to start handling the legality of it a little bit. That's why Antarctica's flyers always say, bring donations for the out-of-town band. The moment you state a price, you're a business. The moment you actually are asking, demanding a certain price for somebody to enter, they can be like, well, where's your business license? This is a private party. Be thankful you got invited and bring some money for the out-of-town band. <laughs> I'm 
you know, you've done a great thing, and I've seen uh, a lot of great shows there, and I don't think maybe you know or maybe you don't know, you know, how much you've done for the rock and roll community in this town. I mean, do you kind of know that? And I don't mean— I, Yeah, okay. I feel it. Yeah. I mean, it's super special, your joint that you have, you know? And I've spent some time there uh, in a band with you and as a uh, member sweating and rocking it out watching other bands, and it's beautiful and it's a great place, and I think you deserve a well-commended— uh, some kind of wild-ass drink in your hand and a pat on the back and a kiss on your cheek for that one. So I thank you, and all the rockers thank you as well. I mean, you put on more shows than most other venues have put on shows in their whole careers, as far as I'm concerned. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff that's happened there, and the multitude of bands in one night is, like, pretty nuts, you know? Yeah. And with the low-keyness of not too many incidents, you know, the occasional, you know, drunk peeing in the wrong spot... Where you going? You know, other than that, man, you've we calm, we calmed it down a little after a while, but like, yeah, I'm going through those no flyers. No smoking in the basement. Going through those flyers, um, the yeah, that was one of the funniest things. Was like looking at the early shows and being like, why is there eight bands on this? Why is there? Because well, you got to pack it in, <laughs> right? <you know? laughs> like we definitely hit a point. Like we hit a stride. Like you know, seven eight years into it, where we were like, no more than four bands. No more than four bands. Three's good. Three's really good. You know? But things happen. Sure. Sometimes you have to put another one on. Tom, uh, you've done a rocking thing, and you're a rocker. I love you very much. I love rocking with you. I like hanging with you. And I'm glad you came here to do this with me. I'm going to let you do some readings, if you would, please. Uh, I'm going to step out. But tell uh, anybody, where can they uh, write to you if they want to get uh, spare change? Um, spare change can be gotten from um, my P.O. Box, and that's uh, P.O. Box 6023, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, 37401. And, yeah, you can reach me through there. I also have a Facebook page for Spare Change, and you can follow me on uh, Instagram at Spare Change Scene. Cool. Thanks, man. I love you, Tom. I love you, too. I'd like to thank the Reverend Tom Foote for sitting down and talking with me. I'd like to thank Dr. Funkenstein, Mr. Charles Allison for mixing this all together. I'd like to thank the downtown Chattanooga Public Library for letting this happen. This is Justin Savage saying, don't let the flesh fall off the bones.